I'm going to start by asking you to do something that maybe a pastor should never do in a sermon, and that is close your eyes. No, not to take a nap, but you all knew that. But it, you can open them for now. But I want you to close them because Jonah, Jonah 1, I debated how I was going to present this to you. I debated because there would be lots of merit in like reading a verse at a time and then talking because there's so, there's so much to talk about. So I could read two verses and then break and explain them. But, but I think even better than that is for you just to sit back, maybe close your eyes or maybe follow along and just take in the story. Take in this true account. This actually happened. So close your eyes if you like or follow along, but just take in the entirety of Jonah chapter 1. Here it is. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up! And call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is God's word. The name Jonah means dove. 
And you might think, oh, that's wonderful. That is the, the, the symbol of the Holy Spirit. And even outside of Christianity, it's kind of a worldwide symbol for peace. It seems like a great name. Except back then, no such meaning. No, the meaning of Jonah's name is a picture, um, you could say, flightiness. That's the picture of Jonah's name. And you don't want your friends or anyone else to call you flighty. It's not what you want to be known as. It means you're not dependable at all. They can't count on you for anything, even to be there at important times. It's me it means you're unpredictable and you're, you'll, just, you'll just change course all of a sudden for no reason at all and you can never be counted on. And that's what Jonah was. He was flighty. And we see it right away. In the very first verses, God called him to go to the city of Nineveh and it says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now, on some level, we, we can't blame him for not really being excited about going to Nineveh. Because Nineveh was, it was the worst. Nineveh, it, it was terrorists. Like, whatever group you think is worst in the world, the word, like the most dangerous, I mean, I don't know, ISIS or Al-Qaeda or whoever it is, this was, this was them. There's poetry that came out of Nineveh and the poetry boasted about how the blood runs down from the mountains. They were boasting about how many people they slaughtered. And they didn't just kill people. They killed them in unspeakably horrifying ways that I'm, I'm not even going to talk about. That is the kind of place that Nineveh was. The worst place. And so, in a sense, you can't blame Jonah for heading the other direction. We don't want to blame him because we think, well, if I were in the situation, I wouldn't want to do that either. And, and that's nice to, to empathize with him, but he was wrong. God had the Ninevites in his heart. He called them a great city, not, not because they were great or they had done great things, but because there were a lot of people and they were important to God. But Jonah, on the other hand, he had shut them, he had shut them out of his heart. He did not want any one of God's words. He didn't want God's grace or God's mercy to reach Nineveh. And so he set out in the opposite direction. Now, people think, pastors think even, um, that Jonah is mainly a message of, go and tell people about Jesus. Go and give them the good news that Jesus has forgiven all your sins and you've got eternal life with him. He calls you clean because he washed you in baptism. And that is a purpose of the book of Jonah, but it's not the primary one. The primary purpose of Jonah is broader. It's not just about the calling to proclaim to people Jesus' love. It's about the callings that you all have in your lives. Theologians call it vocation. And I've got to tell you a couple things, three things about Christian vocation. Here they are. The Bible says vocation, which just means calling. It's a calling that all Christians receive from God. Okay? It's something, if you're a Christian, you've got it. Now, secondly, this is not a calling that you have to think about as if you fulfill it and you do it well, then it makes you look good to God. 
it's not even something you think of that you're doing for God at all. No, a calling, a vocation, is something that you have. You're completely free from worried about performing because Jesus already sees you as clean. He already sees you as enough. He performed for you. He says you're perfect right now. And with that status in mind, he says, hey, here's a calling for you to live in the world as one of my people that I have cleaned. A calling, it's not to please God. God is already pleased with you. And number three, vocation. Your vocations, it's how God works to take care of all the people in the whole world. He works through you to take care of other people. And he works through other people to take care of you. One very simple example, and I know that a lot of grocery stores have self-checkout lines, but someone had to make that equipment. You don't get groceries unless you pay for it, and you have to pay for it somehow. So in the simplest of ways, God is working through the grocery store clerk, working through the person who bags your groceries if you're at that grocery store, working through the person or the people or the company who assembled the self-checkout mechanism. That's vocation. He's working through people to care for other people. And it's not just spiritually. It's also physically and emotionally in all the ways. We all have callings. We all have vocations. And they are important. You are called to be, for example, a great employee, a great husband, or a great wife, or a great parent, or a great child, or a great student, or a great teacher, or a great church member, or a great neighbor, or a great single person, or a great, like, you could fill in the blank with literally anything. You can think of your whole life as one big calling that God is working through you to serve other people. And at times, yes, part of it is telling people about Jesus, but otherwise, it's just being a great servant wherever you are in life. And so through the story of Jonah, the question that I would say the Holy Spirit is trying to get deep into our hearts is this. Do you wake up each and every day and go to your callings, all of your different stations in life? Do you embrace them as what they are, as God's gift to you and through you to other people? Or... Like Jonah, do you run away to Tarshish? Now there's some debate about where Tarshish is exactly. Um, some people think it was in the exact opposite direction from Nineveh. Nineveh was like 550 miles, I guess I should point this way, because northeast from where Jonah was, Tarshish, maybe 2,000 miles straight west. So he was going in the opposite direction. There's debate about that, but really, there's not really any debate about what Tarshish is and what it signifies. And what it was, was a place of luxury and desire and comfort. It was where Jonah wanted to go to, to just be comfortable. And that, we can relate to it. Um, when, we, when we run from our callings, maybe it's Someone in your life who you just don't like being around. 
but they're in your life. And they're there, and so God calls you to serve them, but you really don't like doing it. It is unpleasant. It is difficult. Maybe they hurt you over and over again, but they're still in your life. That's just one example. There's countless more. Sometimes it's just laziness. And that's where we run from our callings. We go, not just aimlessly about, but we go straight to Tarshish. We go wherever we can feel comfortable, wherever we can fulfill our desires. We go straight to Tarshish when we run from our callings, just like Jonah did. And when you and me run from our callings, we're not just running from some philosophical ideal. We're running from the Lord himself, just like Jonah chapter 1 said, Jonah ran from the Lord. And when we run, I say this with a smile, the Lord runs after you and he catches you. He is unrelenting in the waves with which he comes after you. The waves of his power, the waves of his mercy. Um, And what Jonah teaches us, we're going to see this throughout the four weeks, what Jonah teaches us when we run, and it's astonishing, it's unbelievable, it's shocking, is that when God catches you, he doesn't drown you in guilt and shame. He doesn't drown you in just another to-do list or a list of moral things to do. He doesn't drown you in anything except for the waves on waves on waves of his mercy. That's what God does when he catches us. And that's what God was doing here in Jonah chapter 1 for Jonah. He came after him again and again and again. Verse 4. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. The Lord sent the storm as a way to get Jonah back to him. But then it says, Jonah was asleep below deck. Uh, this, he wasn't just tired. This was the sleep of someone who was purposefully saying, I don't care about the world. At that moment, he hated God. He hated what he was doing. He hated where God told him to go. He was just saying, I don't care about the world. I'm just going to go sleep. This is what we call escapism. He was escaping. He was using sleep to get away from it all. Now, don't get me wrong. Sleep is not bad. Sleep is good. But with any good thing, ask yourself, what's my motivation for doing it? Is it to escape? Like, For example, your work is a good thing. Alcohol can be a good thing. The, the screen in your pocket can be a good thing. But when you use any of those things or when you do any of those things, what's your motivation? Are you doing it like Jonah was sleeping? Are you doing it to escape? Now, last week in the children's message, I asked the kids who came up here, what do they want? And I'll be honest, it was a a little bit of a gut punch when almost all of them said, I want a phone. And again, there's nothing wrong with phones or technology. And I'm sure that part of the reason they all said that is because, well, their friends might have them or, you know, whatever. They see other people enjoying them. But I wonder if part of it is because they see us, 
adults, me, their parents, teenagers, everyone else in life. I wonder if they want a phone so badly because that's what they see us seemingly loving a lot and desiring and maybe escaping to. And they think, wow, everyone else loves it so much. That's what I want too. That was, that was a gut punch last week when that's all that they said. So everything good in your life, do you, do you use it to serve and do you use it in thankfulness or do you use it to escape? Does that good thing become your Tarshish? But God kept coming after Jonah. Verse 6, the captain, God went through, him through, through, through the captain and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Okay? Also through the lots, God came to him. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And then God came to him again in verse 13. Jonah said, throw me overboard. But the, the men, it says, they wouldn't even throw him overboard after, they to, after he told them to. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. He came, God came at Jonah through even all these unbelieving people who were crying out to their own gods. He was trying to get Jonah's attention. He was running after him. And Jonah just kept not caring, not answering at all. Now, some people think that, spoiler alert, by the way, because of how the story ends, um, the seas grew calm, you heard that, and then ultimately at the end, Jonah doesn't die. We'll get to that in the coming weeks. But he's alive at the end of the book. People think that because it all kind of turned out that Jonah saying, throw me overboard, was okay. That that was even a virtuous or good thing to do. But where in the Bible does God ever say that human sacrifice is a good thing? Or where in the Bible did, like, where did Jonah get the idea that he could do something that would pacify or satisfy God and his demands? Nowhere. So either Jonah had a Messiah complex and thought that he could, he could save everyone through, through ending his own life, or Jonah was suicidal. And neither of those things are good. And so over the guardrail, Jonah went. But God still wasn't done coming after him. Verse 17 now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. See how far God went to save the bad prophet Jonah? Because make no mistake about it, he was a horrible prophet. He did exactly the opposite of what God called him to do. See how far God went to save him? Again and again and again he came after him. See how far God goes to save all the bad people who run away from their Ninevehs and just seek shelter and comfort in Tarshish. And yes, I'm talking now about you and me. How far does he go? He never stops. He is unrelenting in his coming after you. He was unrelenting, did you notice, in coming after all the other people on the ship. They started off, did you see it? Each of them praying to their own gods. And then, even through Jonah's failure, by the end of chapter 1, all the other crew people on that ship, they were all making sacrifices to the one true God. 
God can use us, and he used Jonah even when we fail. That's how unrelenting he is. How far is God willing to go? He tells us over and over again. And there was another guy. There was another guy who received a calling from the Lord. And it was similar to Jonah because it was a calling no one wanted. You could say it was a calling to Nineveh, to that person, to those people, to a difficult and exhausting task. It was similar in that way, but the difference was that this guy, when he was called, he was already in Tarshish. He was already perfectly comfortable, a great situation. You could even say his situation was heavenly. But when he received this calling from God, he left his seat in Tarshish, he went down, he went all the way down, all the way to be drowned in the depths of death for three days and three nights. And by now, maybe you know that I'm referring to your and my and the world's Savior, Jesus. When Jesus received the calling to go to Nineveh, to come to you and me, people who by nature hate God and are his enemies, he didn't run in the opposite direction. He didn't sit in Tarshish where he was thoroughly enjoying life. It was perfect. No, he got up and he went. And he came down here into the depths of death so that you would never have to be thrown overboard for all eternity. God came at you through Jesus. And God comes to you through everybody else in the world that you come into contact with. Whether they're Christians or not, God works through them to get to you, to serve you. And God, he works through you to get to others. And that's the question i got to leave you with. Who is it that God is getting to through you? It might be spiritually. It might be physically. It might be those kind of needs. It might be emotional or mental. Who is God getting to through you? If you need a place to start as you figure that out, it, it's not hard. Look around. Look to your left. Look to your right. Look in your phone. Look at the last text messages you've sent and received. Those are people that God is getting to through you. Look at the calls you've made, the emails you've sent that you've gotten. If you're at home, look at those things. Look out your window. Look down your block. When you go to the store, look around at all the people. And when you see all the people that God is getting to and wants to get through, get to through you, no matter if it feels like going to Nineveh or to Tarshish, don't run away. Dive in. And God bless you as you do. Amen. Let me say a prayer on behalf of us all. Dear God, you have 
you have called us to be your children. You have washed us clean of all our guilt and shame um, because your son was willing to leave the proverbial Tarshish and come down here and be drowned in our guilt so that our guilt would never drown us. And as people you have called to be your children, you've also given us callings. Some of them might be jobs. Some of them are simply stations in life. And you have put people in front of us for us to serve. As we live out our callings as your people and all the other stations in life that we hold, help us not even think about pleasing you. You're already completely pleased with us. Let our callings be completely other-focused. If we know one thing, it's this. You don't call us to serve ourselves. You call us to serve others. Because we don't need to serve ourselves because you have served us perfectly well. So help us open our eyes to see the people around us. Help us focus on them, whether we're at our jobs or we're at our homes or wherever we are. Help us see that you are serving other people and you choose to do it through us. And what a high and wonderful calling that is. In your name we pray. Amen.